really matters? That might be the most important question you can ask. So let's talk about it. Welcome to What Really Matters podcast, Everyday Spirituality with Karen Wyatt. Thank you for joining me here again today. And um, with this episode, I'm going to start something a little bit different. I'm going to be telling you a story over quite a number of episodes that has to do with my own journey of grief and healing from grief. And this particular story takes place in the country of Italy when I was traveling there. So it's really has to do with what I call grief travel and how traveling can sometimes be really powerful for helping us with grief. This material is the subject of a book I'm trying to write and hoping to come out with early in 2024, but I decided to start telling the story through this podcast as a way to help me organize my thoughts and um, just basically inspire myself to get some things down on paper and talk it through. So, you know, whenever we talk about grief, it's a challenging subject because mostly we can only talk about it from our own personal experience. People who have not experienced grief may be experts in theories about grief, but honestly, those come from the head and not from the broken heart. But those of us who talk about grief through our own lens and our own brokenhearted experiences also have limitations because when I tell you what my grief is like, your grief may be completely different than mine because grief is such a unique experience for each person. So as I share this story with you, Um, You may find some commonalities, you may recognize things that seem familiar to you that you've experienced in your grief as well, but you may also think, that's strange, I I didn't experience anything like that when I was grieving. And so I, I think there's some value in listening to one another's stories about grief. And I would love to hear your stories as well. But the only, the only type of grief expert I am is an expert on my own experience. So I come to you from that perspective, not trying to talk about theories around grief or best practices around grief. I'm simply telling you the story of what happened for me. So this story goes back now, let's see, 14 years. And I'll try to set it all up for you uh, before the trip to Italy and the events that happened. So this story began in 2009, even though actually the grief experience for me started 20 years before that. But this, this story itself in 2009, my husband and I planned a trip to Italy, which would be our very first time traveling to Europe. And it was a bit of a second honeymoon in a way. We were uh, fairly newly new empty nesters. Our our kids had gone off to college. Um, I'd been actually grieving over our kids leaving home and trying to figure out how to renegotiate life 
as just a couple again without children living in the home. And we had just moved into a new and smaller house, which was part of that transition. But there was a lot going on at that time. And and this trip to Italy was a celebration for us in a way, and a new beginning for our new life together as a, a couple living just the two of us in our home after so many years of raising our children. So we had planned this trip for a year. We planned it for September of 2009 and did tons of research um, all about Italy. I planned a whole itinerary and a route through the country with all the things in it that we specifically wanted to see. And we just were so excited anticipating this trip and it was going to be the trip of a lifetime. But 2009 was the year when the H1N1 flu hit the world. Uh, the swine flu, it was called. Now, because we've all been through the COVID pandemic, we look back and H1N1 doesn't seem like a very big deal. But at that time, it was. And early in the spring of that year, I was the medical director of a community-based clinic. We took care of low-income and uninsured patients in our clinic. And I got called in by the director of public health who said, this H1N1 flu epidemic is on the way and we have to make plans for our community for how we're going to manage this pandemic. And I realized it would most likely arrive in our community in the fall, in September, when I was planning to be away in Italy. So I sat down thinking, I'm going to be way ahead of this thing. And I made a pandemic plan for our office. And this doesn't, this, none of this sounds new now because we've all been through COVID. But at that time, none of us had really ever done this before. We hadn't really planned ahead for a contagious disease to come through our community as, that could potentially be life-threatening. So I made a plan for our clinic and how we would create a flu clinic that would operate for a couple of hours each day, uh, certain limited hours when no healthy patients would be there, no well patients who might get exposed to the virus, and uh, ordered pr protective gear, PPE, which was a big issue during COVID, but it was available to us back then, all the flu tests we needed, all the hand sanitizer, gloves, masks, everything that we needed for our office in order to be able to see patients with a potentially contagious disease. And then I also created a staffing plan, a plan for how we would ramp up our flu clinics depending on the number of patients we were seeing, how we would assign staff members to be part of the flu clinic and rotate them through, and how we were going to clean the office each day at the end of the day in preparation for the next day. So it was a 30-page plan that I designed. And I took it back to the director of public health, who was amazed because every other clinic she had worked with during that time uh, was still trying to form a committee to decide how to handle the H1N1 flu. But I already had a plan. I was highly motivated because I wanted to be able to go on my trip in September to Italy. And so she loved my plan so much, she shared it with the state health department 
who shared it all across the state with other clinics as kind of a, a template to use in their planning for the H1N1 flu. And I was really proud of that. And I also felt very confident and very good that we were totally prepared for this flu epidemic. And as I, I sat down, now we lived in a small rural area up in the mountains. And so the the population was not large of full-time residents in our community. And as the uh, public health director and I sat and looked at the, the, the predicted outcome of this flu virus, statistically, our community could expect to have one death from the flu virus. And I said to the public health director rather arrogantly, well, it won't be a patient from my clinic because I'm prepared. That is not, no one's going to die from our clinic. Um, so fateful words, which you will learn about. So as the fall approached and my husband and I were getting ready for our amazing, beautiful trip, the flu indeed came to our community and we began seeing patients. So we enacted the plan and I'd been training our staff all along. We had had um, a number of different trainings on managing the flu. So as soon as the first patient came in who tested positive for flu, we that triggered our plan and we set everything up with our flu clinics taking place and everything worked really smoothly. It was amazing. We were able to hold special clinics, as I said, just for patients who thought they might have the flu and protect all the rest of our patients from being exposed to the flu and protect our staff as well with the protective equipment that we had. So things were going well. We had had a slow, steady stream of patients with flu-like symptoms come into our office. Only about a third of those we had seen actually tested positive for the flu. No one was that sick, um, but we felt really good about what we were doing. We were on top of it, and we were helping the community by making sure we diagnosed those who had the flu so they could stay home and not, not go to school or work and risk exposing other people. So as I said, things were going really well. The week before we were leaving on our vacation, um, I had a day, a Friday. In fact, it was the Friday we left on Wednesday, and it was the Friday before, before we were leaving. I was out of the office, or supposed to be out of the office all day, because I was at a board retreat for our local hospital as part of my job as the uh, medical director for our clinic, I served on the board of the hospital. And they had a retreat for us at this really lovely resort just outside of town. It was an all day re board retreat. And so I was attending that on the Friday before our big trip. And just as lunch was being served from this fantastic restaurant, I got a call from my office saying that the the person who was supposed to staff the flu clinic for that afternoon had gotten sick in the morning and had not been able to come to work. So there was no one there who could see the, the flu patients and asking if I could come back to the office to see them myself because otherwise we would have to cancel the flu clinic for the day. And we already had seven patients in the waiting room. Um, with the potential flu. So I left the retreat 
and went back to the office in order to see patients. So it's something kind of significant. I wasn't really supposed to be in the office that day, but circumstances being what they were, I got called in. So I saw these seven patients, none of whom were very sick, only three of them tested positive for the H1N1 flu. But one of the patients who did test positive was a 13-year-old boy, and he was adorable. I can still remember how sweet he was and see him like a little cherub sitting on our exam table, so joyful and happy. And basically, he had a very low-grade fever, barely elevated, and a slight cough. Those were his only symptoms. He was there with his parents who were immigrants and spoke only Spanish. The, the boy spoke excellent English and Spanish, and um, the parents didn't speak any. I spoke some medical Spanish so I could communicate to a certain degree, and the boy helped me fill in here and there where, where I had gaps in my own language, but... So he tested positive. We talked to the parents about it. They had a baby at home. We told them they needed to keep the older son and the baby separated to make sure the baby didn't get sick. We talked all about how to provide care for him, what he might need, and also told them this was a Friday that if anything happened and any of his symptoms got worse instead of getting better, uh, they could they needed to bring him back into our clinic or go to the emergency room. So we emphasize that those were always our instructions for people who are sick. But I didn't really think this boy would would get very sick because he he was a healthy kid. And it didn't I didn't imagine that he would have problems. So we sent them home that day. Uh, you know, I finished up in the office and went home for the weekend uh, to do my last bit of planning and preparation for our trip, which again was starting the following Wednesday. Wednesday arrived and we weren't flying out until the evening, so I stopped by the office Wednesday morning just to see if there were it was any last minute paperwork I needed to do, anything before I took off, and talked to the staff a little bit. And I got a phone call from the emergency room and they told me that the boy that I had seen on Friday had been brought into the emergency room that morning dead on arrival and uh, they told me the story that his parents had come in in the morning to wake him up and they found him not breathing called 911 but he was already gone by the time the paramedics arrived so they brought him into the emergency room and um, the ER told me the parents had said that he complained of having some trouble breathing the night before but they weren't sure what to do about it they weren't sure that it was bad and they had thought maybe they would call the clinic in the morning and bring him in so I got this shocking news that this healthy boy that I had no clue at all would end up dying from H1N1 flu was dead on my watch. I had been the doctor to diagnose him and to see him, and it was unbelievable and surreal and devastating. I, I could not 
imagined the pain of his parents who who I had met and the loss they had, but also the anger they must have had that their boy died of something that we thought was just mild. No one had prepared them for the fact that he might die. I certainly wasn't prepared for the fact that this boy could die. And um, it turns out, we found out later, he went into pulmonary edema. Um, but but that, I mean, that, that is how he ended up dying. But that day, uh, public health called an emergency meeting, and they brought in people from the school system, from the local press, from the hospital. Uh, all of us came together, and I went to that meeting too because they wanted to know how to present the story to the public, how this news should be released to the public because they were afraid it would cause a panic. And they wanted to make sure the messaging was correct. And I, I sat in disbelief at this meeting, like, I can't believe that we're sitting here talking about messaging, but this boy just died. And um, the CEO of our clinic turned to me at the meeting and said, aren't you going to the airport pretty soon? Don't you need to go home and finish packing? And I said, oh, I, I, I have to cancel our trip. I, I can't go on this trip. I can't do it. I can't leave with this happening and with this going on. And she said, no, no, absolutely. You are not canceling your trip. You've been planning it for a year. You, you need to go. And she said, there's nothing you can do. There's nothing at all that you can do here. I'll take care of everything. It will be fine. And we'll tell you how it goes. When you get back, you just, you need to go to Italy and just enjoy yourself and have a great time. So I came home still in complete shock and disbelief that this boy had actually died, but just tumbling drastically down, down, down into the deep, deep pit of grief. And I didn't quite understand, just like our CEO and the other people who were at that meeting didn't understand why was I so devastated? Why was I so blown apart by the fact that a young patient had died? And I didn't, I didn't quite understand it initially myself, like the how powerful and deep this grief was that I felt until I realized, for one thing, that I felt responsible, I felt guilty that I, as a doctor, hadn't been able to save this young patient's life. But I also was reliving all the grief and all the guilt that happened after my father's suicide death 20 years earlier. All of that previous grief that I thought I had finished with, I thought I'd navigated it all, I thought it was all resolved, all of it came to the surface all over again. And I was reliving this enormous grief and guilt combined that were just completely weighing me down. I had no idea how I was going to go on a trip to Italy. I didn't want to go. I had no desire to go at that point. But we paid all this money and made reservations. And I... I had an obligation to go. It was important for my marriage and for my husband that I'd live up to this trip to Italy. And so I ended up packing my suitcase, traveling to the airport and, and uh, getting on the plane to Rome, even though I was 
in shock and totally devastated. We arrived in Rome and I hadn't slept for a moment uh, because I was just ruminating the entire time about my grief and my guilt and completely lost in those emotions. But I knew I needed to try to make the best of this trip somehow. And I was trying to think of what am I going to do? How can I carry all this grief and this heartache? I'm reliving the biggest grief of my life, the grief over my dad's suicide death right in this moment as I'm also carrying grief for this dear boy who who died that I had seen one time in my office, how am I going to have a celebratory trip at the same time while I'm in the midst of this? It seemed so impossible, so incongruous that I could bring those two things together. But I didn't want to waste the trip. I wanted to make the most of this trip. I really desperately wanted to enjoy it since we were there. And that first day, we decided to go sightseeing again. I I hadn't slept for a couple of days. I was just in a daze and not able to think very clearly. And we ended up getting lost. We were trying to go to the Roman Forum and we missed the entrance somehow and wandered up a street that was next to the Forum and um, had no idea where we were. We were wandering on this little street. It was very, very hot out and we were exhausted and frustrated because our maps didn't show us where we were. We couldn't figure it out. And um, we started arguing with each other, walking on this this little street. And and finally, near the end of the street, we saw a church, and a very, very old church. And we decided, like, we got to get out of the sun. We're, like, overheated. We're exhausted. Like, maybe we can just go in this church and sit down, get some water, and try to figure out where we are. The church was a small Franciscan monastery church, uh, the Church of San Bonaventura al Palatino. And uh, we stepped inside the doors and it was quiet and cool and so peaceful and calm inside. We sat down in, on one of the pews, drank our water, we looked through our guidebook and suddenly we could see on the map where we had made our mistake and how we had gotten lost. And we, we knew then where we needed to go. So my husband got up and went outside and I told him I was just going to take an extra moment to just look around this little church before we left. So I wandered clockwise around the church and looked at the little chapels in the church And it was a lovely, very, very old church. And when I got around to the left-hand side of the church, there was a wooden confessional booth there that had the doors open. And there was a small wooden table. And there was a Franciscan monk sitting behind the table. Much to my surprise, I had no idea anyone was even there, but he was sitting behind that table. On the table was a small basket, and there was a little pile of uh, papers and a pencil and a sign on the basket that said prayer requests. Now, it was written only in English, which is kind of interesting in a church in Italy. But as soon as I saw that, I thought, oh, my goodness, this is what I need to do. And so I wrote on my little paper, 
please pray for the family of this boy in their grief and and bring them comfort and solace in their pain. And I added at the bottom, please pray for me too. I folded it all up into a, a small little square and dropped it into the basket. And as I looked up, the monk, this Franciscan monk, um, with his brown robes on, um, was staring at me and he looked me right in my eyes and he was nodding his head yes, as if it's already done, but he didn't even know what I had written on that paper. And uh, it was like this amazing, mystical, very powerful moment of, of seeing that monk in the booth writing the prayer request and and feeling instantly that it's already answered. That prayer that I asked is already taken care of. And so something just came over me, this like powerful, powerful peace and presence and this knowing that everything would be okay, that I I was still going to grieve, I was still going to hurt, but that things would be okay and also that things were going to be okay for this boy's parents and his family at some point. I just had this inner knowing about it. And as I walked out the door of the church, a word popped into my head that I wasn't familiar with, which was the word novena. And um, I asked my husband if he knew what a novena was, and he didn't. So we used our phones and looked it up to see what is a novena because something significant, it seemed like that word so strongly popped into my head. I needed to know what, what was this about? What is that? And we found out that a novena in the Catholic church is when you pray for something that is desired or needed for nine days in a row, every day for nine days. And instantly I knew that's what I need to do. I need to do a novena for this boy, his death, for his parents and his family, everyone grieving for him, for my own broken heart and my own grief while I'm on this trip in Italy. I need to do a novena. And I realized it would be the perfect thing to do in Italy where a lot of our sightseeing and travels would take us to various cathedrals and churches because that's where a lot of the art and the history take place. And I knew then that I just needed to follow my intuition each day and that as I went on this trip, I would find the right place for each day's novena. And this would be a grief novena that I would conduct to just for a short time every day, wherever I found the right spot for the novena, I would immerse myself in the grief that I was carrying. But I also recognized by tending to the grief and by creating a sacred space that could hold that grief each day, I could still function the rest of the day. I wouldn't have to 
be thinking about and dealing with the pain of the grief the rest of the day. The rest of the day, I could still experience Italy and take in the sights and the food and the, the sounds and the, the history and culture and make the most of all of that because I was carving out time and space for this very powerful, sacred grief that had come to me as part of this trip. And so that was an incredibly profound moment and day. Um, everything about our trip changed at that moment, at that little church that we found when we were lost and had, had no idea where to go. And the fact that the monk was sitting in that confessional booth and we had no idea until I walked up to it. Um, and this inspiration to do a novena in Italy, the perfect place to do a grief novena. So um, the rest of our trip involved carrying out this practice, this novena that had come to me. And um, so I have more stories to tell about the novena as it unfolded each day on the trip. And I'm going to come back now each week perhaps for the rest of this year and tell another story about the grief novena that took place in Italy because it feels powerful to me to share this it was an incredible trip it wasn't the trip I had imagined or envisioned at all uh, even though we saw all the sites that we wanted to see there was so much richness and depth to this trip and it was so very profound in so many ways and connected me so deeply to the country of Italy through the heart, through my broken heart. And um, that's the story that I wanted to tell and how I came to be a believer that travel can be really helpful to us when we're grieving, partly because it gets us away from the place where maybe we're stuck somehow with our grief and takes us someplace new where we have new experiences and we can begin to see things a little bit differently. For me, that that's what happened. My perspective changed. Um, I got out of the rut I had been stuck in and uh, everything transformed after that trip to Italy. So I want to share the rest of that story with you and some of the adventures I had during the grief novenas in upcoming episodes. And so thanks for starting this trip through Italy with me. And, um, and I hope you enjoy hearing all about it over the next several weeks. Until next week, remember, we're here for love. So face your fear, be ready for whatever life brings you next, and love each and every moment of your very, very special life. Bye-bye.